Hello, and welcome to another edition of Truth in Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep into the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. Available in video format at FunkinStuff.net and on YouTube, Truth and Rhythm can now also be enjoyed on the go in its pod- uh, audio podcast edition from FunkinStuff.net, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and most leading providers. I'm your host, Scott Dr. James Goldfine, musicologist and author of Everything is on the One, The First Guide of Funk, available at Amazon.com. Get your copy. Whether you're watching or listening, I thank you so much for your continued support. My guests today are drummer Lenise Hughes and percussionist Nate Hughes, his brother, and brothers in the Stone City Band, the backing band of the late, great, and notorious funk music superstar Rick James. They hopped aboard James's punk funk extravaganza during his meteoric rise in the late 1970s. They were key players helping his Street Songs album achieve a new plateau of success in the early 1980s, and they stuck around long enough to see the empire begin to crumble later in the decade. In addition to James's own albums, Stone City Band was one of the most active ensembles in the business, recording three records of their own and backing James' protege acts like Tina Marie and the Mary Jane Girls, as well as famed performers like The Temptations and Eddie Murphy. Among the hits they played on were You and I, Super Freak, Mary Jane, Bustin' Out, Give It to Me Baby, I'm Just a Sucker for Your Love in My House, Party All the Time, Standing on the Top. Not only was the Stone City Band aces in the studio, but as I can personally verify, they were badass to the bone taking it to the stage. I saw them a couple times in the 80 to 82 timeframe in LA and Long Beach, and they were smoking hot. I mean, they were electric on stage. Just ahead, we'll find out how some of funk music's greatest albums and songs were created, recorded, and performed, what it was like working for a highly gifted yet troubled superstar, and how the legacy is enduring today. Guys, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. Yeah, so we have Lenise on my left and, and Nate on, on my right. Um, and um, so you guys are coming uh, to us from Las Vegas today, right? So from Las Vegas to Charlotte, I hope everything's going fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, plenty of heat. Those <laughs> <laughs> reach 100 today. Wow. I got to show you guys something. Um, I said I was there in the early 80s, and uh, here's a T-shirt to prove it. So this might... You might recognize oh, that. All right. <laughs> yes. That's great. Going down. 1981. Yes, that was a heck of a show. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Street so, sound. I'm anxious to uh, to get into the question. So you ready, guys? Yes. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. So let's uh, start from, you know, where you're all from originally, I'm assuming uh, Buffalo, but I don't know for sure. Um, but how yes. did you both get into music and what were some of your uh, first influences? Well, my first influence was uh, getting into uh, Edge's Cadets, which was uh, like a drum and bugle core when I was eight years old. And uh, uh, Captain Hedges, you know, he, he he, uh, he 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 just strived for us to be disciplined, and uh, also just to learn music at the same time. And it, it was like an early uh, 
like Drumline. You, I'm sure you've seen that movie. You yeah. know, it was similar to Drumline, but, it, you know, there was no Drumline back in the day. That was just an organization that was in the community, you know. And uh, after that, you know, we just uh, started a local group and uh, played around town, you know, for a few years until Rick, you know, came down and discovered us. And about what year was that? Well, he just discovered us like around 77. Uh-huh. You know, he came down in our basement, you know, because he had went to school with one of the uh, members of the group. And uh, he came down and checked out the band. So he just uh, picked out the guys he wanted to build around. So um, other than the drum line, did you have any, you know, influences that were more like contemporary music type influences that you, you know, inspired you? No. Uh, well, I mean, we, we loved all types of genres of music. You know, uh, my father was a jazz musician, so we got into jazz early. And, um, you know, uh, blues, I mean, you know, my mother listened to blues. Rock music was, was flamboyant in our basement. <laughs> I mean, we played a lot of rock music, you know, from Cream to Deep Purple to Genesis or whatever. Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin was one of my favorite groups. Yeah. So you guys must have been making quite a racket, banging on everything uh, in that household, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but my, my mother and father loved it because they they were into music. And um, we weren't just making noise. We were making music. <laughs> yeah. Also, it was a way of keeping in check with us, knowing our whereabouts. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because uh, we had the whole neighborhood in our basement. Uh, our neighborhood was a bunch of musicians, and we all used to get together and just jam in our basement. Yeah. You know, every weekend, you know, something going on. We put a band together, and we went out and did a few, you know, parties here and there. You know, but it was continuous. It was like we either go to the boys' club around the corner to play ball, and other than that, we'd be in my basement making music. You know, that's yeah. part of the great thing of a place like Buffalo, where they have the basements. It's too cold out to do anything else. So you just stay inside and make some good music. Yes. Right? And another thing about Buffalo musicians, they love to rehearse. You don't even have to have a, a gig lined up. They just like to get together and jam because everybody enjoy performing. You know, it was in the blood. You know, it was something we were born to do. Understood. So Rick uh, sort of handpicked you. And, um, you know, how did the uh, the name of the group uh, originate Stone City Band? And uh, who else were, you know, the original members? The name Stone City originated from a housing um, establishment in, around the city. It was a bunch of projects, and they were all built of stone. Rick grew up in the projects, and he relayed that, you know, saying he grew up, you know, in Stone City, which represent the projects throughout Buffalo, New York. 
east side, west side, you know, no matter where you live, you know, everybody grew up in the projects. You know, if you were in the house, you know, that was the other spot. And who all else was in the uh, first band? It was me, Oscar Austin, Alan Szymanski, um, Clarence Sims, AKA Ahmed Ramadan, you know, and Levi Ruffin and Jackie Ruffin. That was, Shandu. he came along later. Yeah. <laughs> but that was the start of the uh, original Star City Band. And Rick Hand picked us and we went to his house and did a little bit of rehearsing and we did a demo for Barry Gordy, which was Tina Marie's demo, you know, for her to get on the Motown label. Uh, we did a cover of, you know, the song Every Little Bit Hurts. And we did a remake of The Temptations Don't Look Back. And we did a song that Rick wrote called Turning Me On. We recorded that. He took us in the studio and we recorded it. He took it back to Barry Gordy. Barry Gordy listened to it and he fell in love with it. And he said, that's your band. Rick came back home to Buffalo and he called us up and told us, hey, if we want the job, the job is ours. Because he needed a band. He didn't have a band. You know, and he needed a band because Motown was going to use their house musicians to perform Rick songs. And he turned it down. He said he didn't want any studio musicians. He wanted his own band and he wanted to handpick them himself. He came back to Buffalo and handpicked each and every one of us out the hood. So then, but his album actually came out before Tina Marie's first one, right? So, yes. Yeah. So, uh, Rick got signed and then went and got a band or he got a band and then got signed? No, he, he got signed before he had a band. Uh -huh. He recorded the first album with some musicians that he had hired to go in and perform, you know, record, you know, sort of like, you know, to represent his music to take to Motown, let them listen to what he could do. And they signed him on, so he had to do the second half of the album, you know, and he put together another group of musicians, some talented people, uh, Mike Caputi and his brother Andy, and uh, Billy Nunn was playing on there with both groups on both sides of the record. He's also a Buffalo musician. And uh, we had uh, uh, Richard Shaw and Lorenzo Shaw also performed on the album. They were Buffalo musicians. So he pretty much used, you know, the Buffalo town. And that's how he put it together on that first album, you know, and then that album hit. But at the time, he didn't have a band when it hit. So he had to put together a band. That's where we came along. So you got that good homegrown talent. Yes. Um, yes. What tell me, tell me, guys, what was uh, Rick like in those early days? And did you believe he would become a star? 
I did. I believed it from day one when I first met him. You know, he was he was very humble, and he was also uh, loved turquoise. <laughs> he had a lot of rings <laughs> and necklaces of turquoise. He always he, acted like a star, anyway. I mean, even before he got famous, you yes, know. <laughs> you know, and he had that rock background. You know, he brought him in from you know Canada when he had his groups there. You know. When he had his, uh, you know, run with uh, Neil Young. Mm-hmm. So he had it together right from the start. I mean, it seemed like it with that first album, Come Get It. I mean, that seemed to really, you know, for a debut, it was uh, a pretty complete package. You know what I mean? Yes. He knew what he was doing. Oh, yeah. You know, he had a great great ideas, you know, he, he was a great songwriter. He could write a song out the top of his hat. You know, you play a few notes, throw some words on it, it's the song five minutes later. You know, he was that quick on his feet. You know, but he, you know, he had a, he, he was uh, producing for Motown at, at 16, 17 years old. He was writing songs for them. You know, so by the time he got to you know his late 20s early 30s he was a bona fide songwriter performer arranger and everything at that time one thing about rick he uh he always wrote about stories and they were personal experiences that's what made him so real yes all of the songs related to something that happened in his lifetime so he created these songs really fast, but other than that, what was what was it like being in the studio with him? You know, what was it? How, how did he work and how did he direct the band? Dis- discipline, <laughs> very disciplined. <laughs> you know, when we went into the studio, the first thing that came out of his mouth was, "I am no longer your friend. I am your producer." You know, so. We couldn't be asking him, you know, and acting like he was our friend from around the corner. Right. You know, he, he was our boss from that point on. And everything we did had to be to his liking. You know, if he didn't like it, we did it over till it was right and he felt comfortable with it. And we all had that same attitude, you know, when we laid out the rhythm section, it had to be to everyone's liking. You know, nothing went past us, you know, and, and Rick didn't didn't let it go slide until it was right. Sounds like the James Brown school a little bit. It's, exactly. You know, he took a few tabs from here and there. Oh, yeah. James Brown, you know, Sly. <laughs> Thank you, the Blazers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, those first two albums. So um, did both of you or one of you play on, which did you all play on, on the first two? The second one, Busting Out. Yeah, Busting Out. I was, at the very beginning, I wasn't in the band. I recorded on the album. Uh, At the time, they had a percussion player. And... uh, he needed someone to drive the equipment to New York. And I uh, and I just said, I'll drive the equipment to New York. And I drove I drove the equipment to New York in a rental car. 
And um, he was kind of surprised I got there so quick. But uh, we recorded, you know, Busting Out in New York, Sigma Sound, yeah. Sigma Sound Studio. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was my first professional recording session. You know, I, I got to play on the album, but I wasn't in the band yet. Um, I didn't get in the band till the next year. But I was uh, on his first tour, which was the Magical Tour. I was an assistant sound man and my brother's drum roadie because we were both drummers at the time, you know. So, uh, you know, that was my experience behind the scene and eventually got in the band a year later. Had to kind of earn your stripes or something, sounds like. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know. Yeah. So yeah, Levi told me to be patient, you know, because, uh, you know, it was a little static happening between the percussion player and Rick. I mean, you know, they just didn't gel. You know, they were always clashing. But uh, I learned a lot from him, though. He was a good percussion player. So uh, I also want to point out that Levi Ruffin was the person who really brought us into the scene with Rick James. You know, Levi told us, you know, he would ask Rick, you know, if we could be a part of the band, you know, because he knew us. And he was he was the one that brought us in, really. You know, he convinced Rick we were the cats that he needed. Very good. So then uh, just to get up to speed, the first two albums were Come Get It and then Fired Up was the second one. And then busting out no, was busting out was the second one. Busting out, busting out was the second one. Was it? Yeah, uh -huh. that came came right after. Come get it. Oh, fired okay. up was the third one. All right, my mistake. Busting <laughs> out. Yeah, busting out was um, when I first heard that first riff of that lead track. It was mm -hmm. something else. I mean, it was man, it was down in that groove even harder than anything on that first album. I oh, thought, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, what was L seven exactly? That was the perfect square. Put an L up, and then make the figure seven. Put it together. That's a perfect, perfect square. square. Yeah. So, what do you think inspired <laughs> inspired that though? What inspired it? Just attitudes, attitude, lifestyles of what was going on back in the day. You know, the people that we ran across. You know, it was square people and it was hip people. That's the way we uh, performed in the studio was with an attitude. And that's what brought, brought our music across. Yeah, like I said, that song has serious attitudes. That's why I love it. Um, so and it was right around then too that um, Tina Marie came with her first one. Um, Wild and Peaceful, I think it was, and Sucker for Your Love was yeah. a great track on there and, and all that. So what was your involvement with that? That was that was really my my audition. <laughs> it was to do Tina's uh, demo. That was really my audition to be in the Stone City Band. And Barry Gordy loved it. So by the time we went to California, we continued playing um, music behind Tina Marie. 
at the same time we was out promoting. All right, so we're back in. Uh, Lenise, you were just saying about uh, Tina Marie being your, your demo and that you uh, worked on that first album. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and, and that one hit too. So, I mean, that was quite a year around, uh, 79, I guess it was, you yes. know, when both those records were, were tearing up the charts. So were you surprised at all by the, the radio and chart success that it had so quickly? Oh yeah. I was very surprised for a first debut album. Ooh, they really jumped on it. Uh, then <laughs> when they saw who she was. <laughs> it was a bit of a shock. <laughs> yeah, they didn't, they didn't show her on that first record. No, <laughs> that was a plan. <laughs> yeah. So, did you record in studio with her? Or did you lay down tracks and then she recorded separately? She recorded separately. We did the rhythm tracks and everything first, and then then she came in and sung over the rhythm section. Yeah, she was a little powerhouse. She's one of my favorite uh, soul singers. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. great entertainer. Uh, it was pure magic working with her on stage. Great energy. Yes. Great keyboard player, uh, yeah. guitar Play player. guitar, yeah. Yeah, it's the thing, a lot of people don't even really give her credit or know about what a musician she was too. Mm-hmm. Just her aura. It's beautiful. So talk to me guys about uh, then the third album. Uh, it had this big hit with Bustin' Out. Then Fired Up came out and had Love Gun on there and some other good tracks. What was yes. going on in, in the camp right around that time that you remember? Oh, uh, we wanted to, we really wanted a crossover album. Yeah, that's right. what was on everybody's mind. Yeah. And we had rock flavor. You know, once we picked up Tom McDermott, the other second guitarist, uh, he had he comes from a rock background, you know, also a jazz background. He's very good. Uh, he complimented us, you know, when he got to be a part of in the band. So Rick utilized all of that, you know, and brought in the, the fiery sound of Love Gun, you know, he wanted that, you know, big crossover hit Rock Edge, you know, and, and it worked, you know, and then he threw in a song, a ballad that was very, very sacred to him, and he put it on record, and he loved our rendition of it, you know, when we brought it to life in the studio. You know, and that was when Love is Gone. You know, it was a very beautiful song. You know. And uh, the rest of the album was uh, jam sessions that we did during sound check when we were out on tour on the Magical Mystery Tour. And he brought them back in home. We rehearsed with some more and we brought them into the studio. You know, we wanted to do a bit of rock, a little funk, you know, and have some, you know, R&B ballads. So it was a mixture album. Yeah, a lot of people didn't know that a lot of those uh, 
creations happen at sound check, just gelling together, you know, feeling each other out. And they just happen to record them. <laughs> Are you talking now about the first Stone City Band album? In and out? No, I was talking about Fire It Up. Okay. Yes. We also. such a short period of time. There were three records in the really condensed time with "Come Get It," "Busting Out," and "Fire It Up." I mean, it was like a year and a half, and boom, three albums. Right. Plus Marie. <laughs> Every year we was doing something. Yeah, you yeah. know. Uh, at that same time, that's when we did the Stone City Band debut album. Which was in and out, yeah. and that very song. Once you listen to it on record, it sounds like a movie soundtrack. You know, in and out. It's an instrumental side and it's a um, musical side with vocals. You know, it's two versions on there. You know, and he let us um, show our side of the entertainment. And we covered every angle, you know, did some rock, did funk, we did Caribbean, reggae, you know. Latin. Yes. I mean, we covered everything on that album. So just to let people know that we could play other things than just R&B funk. You know, we were very versatile. And everybody in that band contributed to all of those songs to showcase their talent. You know, and he was he was free to let us express how we felt. You know, it wasn't all about just Rick James at the time. You know, he let us shine also. Yeah, the creativity of all the musicians just gelled together. And uh, that's what made it work. When did y'all know that you were going to get to have your own album? I mean, did he kind of just surprise it on you or did he tell you early on or how did that oh, come about us. that you were actually going to have your own album? He let us know we was going to have our own album. You know, that's why we recorded it both at the same time. So were you excited or were you a little nervous about it? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, both. both. Yes. <laughs> You know, we we got to do uh, television shows, everything. You know, we was very excited to get back into the studio. And when it was time to go in, that was our time to do the Stone City Band album. You know, so that just took it right over the edge. Well, we was loving it, especially at the photo session. <laughs> we got the pose for the camera. <laughs> So you guys are having a blast. Let me ask you a few specific questions about that first album. I have a couple of notes here. Okay. Um, one thing I want to comment is that, you know, at the time I was getting all those records and loved the Rick James records and Tina Marie. Stone City Band I liked, but I didn't like quite as much as those, just being totally honest. Um, mm -hmm. But now I listen to them and I like them even more now because I think you know, as time has gone by, I really appreciate even more what you all were doing then. You know what I mean? Because there was a yeah. bit of a saturation at the time. Now, with the years that have gone by, there's no saturation of that. So it's like just really good to hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, at that time, you know, Motown was really focusing on Rick. Right. You know, and 
when our album came out, we got a little bit of airplay, you know, j but just enough. <laughs> you know, it didn't went right back to Rick. Right. <laughs> it focused more on Rick. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you, actually, like on that record, I mean, a uh, little runaway to me is like sounds like a straight up Rick James song, basically. So, I mean, you're kind of a little surprised that a song like that didn't get really picked up. Well, really, that's that's all of us, yeah. you know, that whole sound. Yeah. That was just our sound. That was the band jamming. That was just one of the jams that we did in the studio at that time. And we recorded it, you know, and then we had some visitors come into the studio, which was the Pointer Sisters. And they got to jump aboard, you yeah, know, and they put their flavor. It was so pulsating. I mean, you know, Rick had to sing on that bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all kinds of people are going through. I saw Narada Michael Walden was on there. You know, how did that happen? Oh, yeah, because oh, yeah. we were at the record plant in Sausalito, and he was there recording with his band, yeah. you know. So we was hanging out in the studio, and... Rick asked him to come in and throw a few licks, and he did. And I was loving every bit of it. In fact, me and him got to play on a song on the second Stone City Band album, which Tom McDermott, the guitar player, he wrote called Tin Soldier. That's me and Michael Walden playing on that tune. And just to be accompanying him performing was a thrill to me. You know, because I got to play with one of my idols. Wow. 